Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels from the Santa Monica Studios into October, but the tennis grind does not stop. Joined now by a friend of the program, I think an official Wilson-sponsored uh, athlete right now, and the only hedgehog owner that I know, Blair Henley. Welcome back to the program. Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad to occupy that space in your world, Mitch, as the only hedgehog owner that you know. Um, I'm, a, I'm the only hedgehog owner that a lot of people know, which means I get a lot of hedgehog memes uh, sent to me. I would assume that's the case. And I, I made that comment, too, about the Wilson athletes like you and Marta Kostuk. And I know that, you know, she's got a big cheerleader on your hand every time she, you know, debuts a nice cardigan or something. You know, you're the first to, to make it known how cool it is. I am. I'm all in. And people are like, well, yeah, because you, you actually are in. But um, but no, yeah. for real, it is. Yeah. I could purchase the entire Wilson website. Uh, and I tell all my friends that because it is the absolute truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, look, we I, I got to speak with Marta before she had a big win recently over on Shibor. Um, so that's good for her. Hope to chat with her again. I think I'm rocking the uh, Marcos Garon Vori. Uh, polo right now so we're all just trying to level up a little bit close a close second marcos has (laughs) one of the coolest clothing sponsors on tour if you ask me yeah i'm going right to the gym to squat and leg press after this too so that's the other side of that story but uh, i digress it's always fun to chat with blair here on this podcast about some of the stories you have and you know getting to know for those who are listening for the first time Blair covers tennis around the uh, country travels to a lot of these tournaments in many roles, gets to know these players, gets to shoot some cool things that we'll get into with these players. Uh, the last time we chatted was in the spring. We were getting ready for uh, a nice clay court season and how time has flown since then. But I wanted to kind of backtrack a little bit, and there's a lot of different ways to go. But the U.S. Open, we're going to kind of bounce around a little bit, though. But U.S. Open's always fun. You guys got to you know experience Kids Day and all the events, and you had different roles there. But I have to ask what it was like. I saw the sit-down with Novak Djokovic before he won his 24th. Yeah, it was part of the U.S. Open's fan-facing media day. This is the second year that yeah. they've done that. And so essentially, as the players are moving through their normal media day stops, they've added a live stop on the tour with fans. And we have been blessed with bad weather on that day the past two years and so it's very convenient for fans to file in the closed Arthur Ashe Stadium and this year they actually had us on this platform while practices were going on behind us uh and and it was really fantastic it was packed it's a really neat opportunity for fans to hear a live conversation that entire fan week by the way is The, I'll, I'll say it's the best ticket in tennis. It's a free ticket. So it's it's the best ticket just by nature that it's free. But the stuff that you can experience as a tennis fan during fan week at the U.S. Open is absolutely incredible. And that was mm-hmm. that was one piece of that. But Novak, as always, was <laughs> as thoughtful as yeah. you can get. He's just a thoughtful guy. Yeah. He he listens to your question. He he does his best to actually give you specifics, which I always appreciate. Um, we, we talked about, you know, one thing that has been fascinating to me and watching him practice, particularly at the U S open, I've had a, a chance the last couple of times he was there to sort of see some uh, of his practices up yeah. close. He is making like minute technical <clears throat> adjustments. He's, he's like pointing to his, his arm and his elbow and, and shifting the position mm. a little bit. And there, it looks like they're actually making technical adjustments in these very close to tournament practices, which I find fascinating because you don't, I don't often think about athletes at the very highest level making technical adjustments that close to match play. Mm -hmm. That doesn't apply for him. And I asked about that. I said, you know, is that, is that the level that we're thinking even in a practice, maybe the day before you start your U.S. Open, and he said, "You know, the devil is in the details." And has that not been the story of Novak Djokovic's career? Yeah, he is—he pays attention. At this point, it wasn't always true at the beginning of his career, and he's evolved in, in many ways in terms of how he handles his actual tennis and his body off the court. But he is paying attention to every single mm-hmm. thing 
about his game, his nutrition, his routine, his team, all the things. Um, so that was really fun. And uh, in addition to this story, I was able to, thanks to Infosys and the Hall of Fame, do a Q&A with Goran Ivanisevich on the day of the final, hmm. which I was... <laughs> kind of shocked that he said yes to I was like really yeah. he said yes at the beginning of the tournament by the way so pre-tournament he's like, he's like yes we'll be let's there. do a yeah. Q&A on finals day <laughs> which I think says something yeah. about the, yeah. the confidence level in that Djokovic team uh but he was he's fascinating to talk to as well he's got um a great sense of humor for anyone who's who's had the chance to to be around him or speak to him you know talks about them playing and they're big I guess the used to be Uno in Team Djokovic was like the big game and now I believe it's Parcheesi is <laughs> is the one that that they're yeah. super into and he said you know sometimes depending on the day depending on the mood you could just gotta let gotta let Novak win one every every <laughs> once in a while just gotta gotta slide him a W yeah. Uh, yeah. but he also the the standout point for that from that conversation for me was him just sort of I guess explaining what the Djokovic mentality is moving forward in that he said listen we thought at this point there would be people that were regularly challenging him and there aren't he said he described Alcaraz as special he said you know he is a special talent he is a potential yeah. generational talent but there just haven't been that crop of regular challengers that they all thought would be coming eventually. And obviously right. part of that, yeah. yeah, is because Djokovic himself has maintained this incredible level. But yeah, he's like, mm -hmm. well, it hasn't happened yet. So why not see what we can do? Right. It's no fault of his. I and mean, that's really good insight. But Djokovic keeps putting the work in, keeps, you know, maintaining his edge. We haven't seen that next generation outside of Alcaraz. We're starting to see signs of it, but will we see the next gen come through? That's a very fascinating story. It's, it's you know, the devil is in the details for Djokovic. Mm -hmm. He finds a way to continually evolve and improve like a chameleon out there. Speaking of which, I mean, you had a couple different roles at the U.S. Open. One was being a PA announcer for a little bit. Now, that's got to be a different kind of adrenaline rush, I would imagine. Yes. there. Uh, when you have a person in front of you, there is room for a little bit of humanity. And by that, I mean, like, ums and uhs or the the occasional conversational stumble although of course i try to have that not happen but but if it does and you're hosting yeah. a, a live audience it's a little bit different uh on a microphone when your voice is going out to over twenty thousand people plus the broadcast there's no room for error so even though the job itself uh you know you're in a booth with my my three other teammates, my producer, the DJ, and the sound guy for Ash. Yeah. Uh, so it's 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 not as high pressure in terms of wow, there are a lot of eyeballs on you. It's kind of like being the catcher in baseball. Like if you if you mess up, people are right. going to know about it. Yeah, and you don't want to <laughs> and you don't want to get rattled either. Even if it's you know only a short job, it's an important job. So hypothetically, like let's say I don't know a, a, a female player comes out and she quotes an iconic Rafa answer. How would you handle that situation? <laughs> so if, if she quotes an iconic Rafa answer. Yeah. Check player, in, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yes. <laughs> so it took me a second that yeah. that's how scattered my brain yeah. is post US Open. Uh, uh, no, but it was uh, Carolina Mahova, of course, in her, her pre-match interview, which, as you know, rarely garners anything out of the ordinary. Although I got to say, I don't know what, players were thinking at the US Open this year. Maybe they're like, right. listen, we're going to spice it up. Daria Kazakina right. had me was, absolutely. Like normally they keep it moving. They're just like, hey, we got a big match here. Like you're not trying to do anything crazy. Just keep it moving and focus on the task at hand. Right. So anyway, yes, she she quoted Rafa. Unfortunately, she didn't split happened into three syllables. It was not happened, but we'll, we'll give her a pass on yeah. that. But anyway, I chuckled because of course we're getting the live feed and then my voice goes to broadcast after those pre-match interviews. So it goes to the stadium and goes to broadcast. It was cool to be a part of history. There had never been a female voice on Ash doing that before. So it was me teaming up with the iconic Andy Taylor, but it was, it was, tough it was tough in the sense that your voice is going out to the biggest tennis stadium in the world 
but right. also for the walkouts to the broadcast. So the way that I would speak if I knew that I was just speaking to the house yeah. is probably more announcery, if you will. But the way that you want to do that to make your voice big without having it sound like I'm now <laughs> taking the court, you don't want it to be that cheesy announcer right, it's a skill. voice that we yeah. think of. When, yeah, when we think of the voice of God. So finding the balance between getting the attention of the live audience, which, you know, who is multiple honey deuces deep and, mm -hmm. and also the, the broadcast audience. It was an interesting challenge and it was a cool additional skill to hone during the U.S. Open. Right, that's a that's a very good point. I also think it's kind of cool and symmetrical that this year where there was the 50th anniversary, a lot of history on the WTA, you get to make history being the first woman to announce these players on Ash. It's very exciting. I also, from the U.S. Open, just had a note that it just something's cool about celebrities watching tennis for the first time. It's like just watching their reaction to this sport and them discovering how intense it is. You can see their eyes just getting bigger and just the, I would even say like look of anxiety and even fear sometimes with how fast these points are. Yes. Well, one of the things that we do in that voice of God booth that I sit in or when I'm doing that particular role is the producer is hunting during the games with the camera people in the crowd for the celebrities. We have a list of who is sitting where or who we think is sitting where, you know, you have to make sure they're not in the restroom. If there's a, if there's a particular musical artist, we have to get uh, the DJ, a DJ Triz, who's incredible, gets the right song keyed up and ready for the next changeover. So a lot of what they do in that booth is making sure they know who they're going to go to on the next changeover. And it's so funny to see, you know, it's where we're looking, we're like, let's make sure, are we sure that that's who we think it is? And Googling mm -hmm. pictures just to like <laughs> yeah. triple check oh, because yes, you have this list, but you want to make sure wrong. you don't put Not necessarily tennis, but we've seen what happens when you're wrong. It's not pretty. It's it's not pretty <laughs> at all. So, but again, I thought the US Open did a great job of, of leveraging the fact that celebrities wanted to be there. I think it was Marty Fish who tweeted during the US Open, um, are there celebrities at the U.S. Open? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah that was like the tweet <laughs> I saw. It yeah, it's like the tweet I saw. Does anyone know if there's any moms playing? That was another yes. one. Yeah. <laughs> I also, I liked that because, yeah. gosh, man, we talk about it yeah. a lot. Uh, but, but yes, I thought that that part was cool. And I think that the U.S. Open was the beneficiary of the writer's strike. Could be, yeah. <laughs> because you had a lot of celebrities who wanted to see and be seen and make appearances. Right. And they headed to the blue carpet instead of the red carpet. Right. We'll see how real they are. Right. Like if they're like Leo and they're back every year, you're a real tennis fan. But some, you know, aren't Leonardo DiCaprio's level of interest. They might be, unfortunately, one and done. Uh, the last thing on the open was, did you have any interactions with now tennis diehard Jimmy Butler? I mean, other than allegedly, you know, pointing him to a barber, which we saw that the Heat Media Day this week. <laughs> Uh, uh, yes, actually, he was part of the stars of the open event during fan week, which has been a massive success the past two years, they raised over $300,000 for Ukraine crisis relief, which is awesome. But he wanted to go into ball person training at the US Open, like he was gay, he wanted to do that. So he actually trained with the ball kids got kitted up in the polo Ralph Lauren ball kit outfit, as many people saw, and was like doing warmups in the green room. <laughs> but Nick McCarvel and I, before we walked out, we popped our head in. Um, our friend Amanda White is sort of the handler for a lot of those appearances. And so she's like, come, come on in, guys. This is Jimmy. And we had, he, he's the most normal dude, other than the fact that he is massive and that's saying something because i have been around so many yeah. massive humans in tennis i am not a massive human i am as somebody called me on twitter this week a short queen which i will take uh, he is he is a massive human um but just couldn't have been more normal and excited to be a part of the whole thing we yeah. we bonded over the fact that i lived in houston for a long long time he's from houston and so talked talked all about that and he was like the secondary star of the Open. So mm -hmm. props to Jimmy Butler. Yeah, and you do see, right, that singular focus. Like, it's it's funny to talk about Ball Kid, but his love in tennis. Like, you see with these driven, successful athletes that when they get their mind to something, it's, no, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this to the best of my ability. The other, well, yeah, go ahead. Can I get you one, yeah. one more behind-the-scenes yeah. nugget on that? Yeah. 
we were told Jimmy is not touching a racket. No rat, like don't encourage on the court. Don't encourage Jimmy hitting. Jimmy is not hitting tennis balls. It took 30 seconds of him being on the court for Francis Tiafo to get Jimmy to hit tennis balls. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it makes me chuckle in hindsight because they were like under absolutely no circumstances is Jimmy hitting tennis balls. But 30 seconds later, there he was with the racket in hand. Yeah, this is a, a pretty much verified story, but not officially verified. That'll paint the picture of what kind of guy Jimmy Butler is when they had the NBA All-Star game in my hometown of Cleveland when all the athletes and celebrities were out at the trendier clubbier bars. He went to a soft opening of a country bar and was just hanging out, helping <laughs> to bartend. So. Officially, you can take, yeah. take the guy out of Texas. Yeah. You can't yeah. take the Texas out of the yeah. guy, right? Just chill. Perfect. Well, hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. More with Blair Henley here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Got a couple more stories we're going to get to, but I did want to get your thoughts on some of the Asian swing uh, events going on. The first time the tennis tours have really returned to Asia in a while. And, you know, we know how long this season is, but we also know that there's different reasons for going back. The money is part of it, too. The ranking points, but also... You know, and I, and I thought about this today when I was watching uh, Zhang win in his home native of Shanghai. This is an opportunity for people that never really get to see tennis to experience it. Similar to the Golden Swing in, in South America in February. But this is a chance for people to experience pro tennis and elite level tennis. And in Zhang's case, a hometown kid actually get a big win. So I understand why this is a special time for part of the world. Yeah, for sure. I I do. I think it's one of the one of the struggles when you watch some of these these Asian swing tournaments, the crowds don't look huge. And I don't know, I know a lot of the stadiums have those box dividers um, that I think Madrid also has them. Yeah, and I also do. feel the same way when I watch Madrid. It's like, it doesn't look full. But I, I think there are more people than it looks like there are. I think maybe it's just a matter of finding a little bit of that that momentum and that's this isn't I haven't watched every single match of the Asian swing so if you mm -hmm. saw a match and it was packed uh, that's great that's yeah. fantastic I think though making sure that that the players that are yeah. making the trip to Asia feel appreciated and watched and loved in that atmosphere like yes the money's great but I don't think there's anything quite like playing in front of a, a really packed stadium with a cool atmosphere. And, and my hope is that mm -hmm. that momentum can build again for those Asian events. Yeah, we do know, too, that it's important to point out that the fan and, and how people consume sports in that region of the world is a little different. I keep going mm -hmm. back to the legendary story of when Mike Tyson lost to Buster Douglas. The crowd wasn't ooing and eyeing because that's just not how they interpret sports. So yeah. it's a little different there. But these draws have been you know, stacked as well. We see it in some of these players, some of these veterans who've lost early in Andy Murray and Stan Vavrinka's case. But the, the plus side is, and this happens every time there's an Asian swing, there will be top 10 elite-level matchups overnight. You'll wake up to highlights, or you'll just stay up all night like a complete night owl. But some of these tennis matches... You do no, Are you <laughs> I'm, too, I'm too old for that now. I can't stay up all night. Got too many uh, responsibilities. But you know, nobody, no player in the Asian swing has made more of an impact than what Yannick Sinner did. Just in the past five days, there's still the Shanghai Masters coming up, but he wins the China Open for the first time, Blair, and he does it by beating Alcaraz and Medvedev back-to-back -back matches and overcoming throwing up a lot against Grigor Dimitrov in the quarterfinals. So, you know, starting there, I think the trash can throw-up might be part of his repertoire now. It's like a good luck charm. I mean, from eating a carrot on a changeover, <laughs> which which spawned the Karota boys to to now this. I don't I don't know what comes from vomiting in a trash can on, on a changeover. Yeah. I don't know where you go from there, uh, but it's, yeah, add it to part of the center lore for sure. And I, I love to see it. He is someone who, I, and I think we talked about it last time we spoke in the spring, but I, I think he played every single one of his matches, his first four rounds at Indian Wells on stadium three, which was, which is my court there. And we were able, it was sort of a matter of breaking through with him because I do think he's funny and has a great personality, but I do think he's a little yeah. bit more on the shy side. So it, it takes, you got to peel back the layers right. of the onion a bit. 
And I think people have been seeing that with him throughout the season also. So you have that, you know, things clicking on the court and also you have sort of the, the personality, you know, the, the Gucci campaigns, the, yeah. the bag walking out at the U S open, which I was, it was a beautiful bag. So jealous <laughs> still to this, to this day. I'm like, is there a consignment yeah. for, for that? <laughs> Cause yeah, every, I would be first in line. Yeah, everyone um, wants so, it yeah. on there. Everyone wants. I I love it. I think that he is he's so fun to watch. When I, the coaching mind in me, uh, his hitting track on his ground strokes, particularly on his backhand, is such a thing of beauty. And if I ever have to explain that concept, and and for people listening, it's that idea of sort of the straightaway on the racetrack of your stroke, and his straightaway is so long and smooth and steady. He's so balanced on on just about every shot. It is it's really pretty to watch, and it's cool to see him getting the results as well. So he's always been just so solid on both wings, like exceptional even. And there have been a lot of questions with his game, which is a little unfair because he's so young and always accomplished already. But when a guy like Alcaraz exists and Novak still extending history, making reigns, it's going to happen. There's going to be questions. He came in with the questions of, are, are you fit enough? He's lost a lot of those heavy matchups. Is he built to beat these top players? Can he finally beat Medvedev? Well, that was the first win in six tries. He's up to number four in the world. And you know, especially that Alcaraz match, he's just relentless. He basically smothered Alcaraz. And I don't know if there's anyone, even the way Djokovic plays him isn't that style. He is getting to the net. He's finishing points. He's not afraid to go for his shots, Blair, on big moments. And that's easier said than done. This Medvedev match highlighted that same point. A guy who's had his number in a condition that favors the Neil Medvedev. They play two hours, two tiebreak sets, no breaks of serve. And yet when it mattered most in those tiebreaks, Sinner, who had some shaky plays in that match, missed a couple overheads, he got the job done. So take the title, and then that's a great thing. But beating the best, getting up to four in the world... This is going to work wonders for his confidence going into next year and beyond. I feel like sometimes when you are a player who is, he's incredibly physically gifted and he can run back and forth a thousand times if he has to, that can also be somewhat of a handicap because it is really hard when it matters most in the tightest moments, not to fall back on that. Uh, It's, it can be a little bit of a crutch. And so you're exactly right to, to sort of re, rewire the way that he's thinking in the biggest moments of the match. That is going to pay dividends down the road, and, and I love it for him. So cool. Up to four. Has Shanghai coming up? We'll see. But this is that time of year when you start to plant seeds and build for the future. Um, for Medvedev, I mean, it's not – look, he, he lost the match he was in, and that's part of tennis, right? I don't think he was going to – you know, go undefeated against Sinner in his career. We'll see how he makes adjustments. The only note I have with Medvedev is there's there's no one that has the angles that he does. I know everyone's trying, especially social media, some some people out there trying to find the perfect angle, watch Medvedev play tennis, because there's nobody that approaches the game like him. Watching Daniil has actually made me rethink how I teach my kids how to play tennis. That seems strange, but because, it, listen, am I trying to teach the Daniil Medvedev strokes? No, because I don't really think you can. I couldn't even <laughs> explain it in words how to hit a forehand like Daniil Medvedev. But I, and granted, his talent level is off the charts, but he just knows where he wants to hit the ball and does physically whatever he needs to do to get the ball mm-hmm. to go to that spot. And I think just sometimes we overcomplicate things. Yeah. <laughs> the idea of technique and same thing with like the Coco Golf forehand. If you take sort of the technique thoughts out of it and just say, hey, I need the ball to go here. If you are an extremely gifted athlete, often those are the only pieces of the puzzle that you need. Yeah. Yeah, and if you're, you know, in Coco's case, you know, like Brad Gilbert, who's kind of taught her the winning ugly method with 14 straight, but just focus on the positives too. I mean, that's another thing we kind of get bogged down on what your weaknesses are and how do we turn them up. But there's a lot to be said about just relying on what got you to the dance. Medvedev's movement is is especially gifted too. The way he plays, how far back he plays, he's able to get to drop shots. I mean, it's so cliche, just drop shot him to death, but he gets to the ball. I do think, and we were early on the we were early on the take, both of us, that he's one of the funniest, if not the funniest, players on tour. I've also added to that take that I think he needs to blow off steam in that regard because that has been the one thing. Like when he goes 
a little mental. Maybe that's a positive from today. It was two tightly contested sets where he wasn't at his best. When he's not been funny, when he's you know gone mental, he's kind of lost going away. So I think the humor in a weird way helps him kind of play better and stay locked in. I'm all for it. If, if that's going to be Daniil's secret sauce going forward, it's a yes. It's a yes from me. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah. Well, for Carlos, I mean, this is another match where he loses in the semi to center. That head-to-head is now center 4-3. It was a, a tight first set. Carlos lost kind of going away in the second. You know, the bigger concern is no one's debating the long-term future of Carlos Alcaraz, what he's accomplished and how much is left in the tank. But I think it's fair to bring up where the point that we're into October he had his hamstrings wrapped a little bit in this match. And, you know, finishing these years after such a grueling schedule and grueling style he plays, I wonder how he's going to manage his body, his schedule in the future. Because last year, didn't finish the season. This year, lost a tight match where the body kind of gave up on him a little. I think that's maybe the biggest challenge of this part in this of the season mm-hmm. is just everyone is either literally or figuratively limping to the finish line. <laughs> um, and so it is, I think the, the travel, the, the wear and tear of the season. I, I think back though, to a player like Djokovic, for instance, who at this point in his, his career had not figured out his right. body. And so I think that there is a learning curve there for sure. Um, and I, I, I don't pretend to know all the things that you can do as far as physios are concerned and how, you know, ramping up and ramping down is concerned. I I wish I knew more about that. I probably would be great (laughs) if I could learn at my advanced age, I could learn more about that. But, but again, I just think that if he has the time to learn, to figure out what works for him, I think that it will become easier to space out his season. Yeah, and Djokovic is a great example. He figured it out. He mapped out a game plan. He executed it. Rafa is somebody who had and still has the same problem, right, after the Grand Slam season, never won an ATP final, struggled in some of the indoor. So we'll see. And then there might be a situation where he's going to have to cut it down early and just focus on starting fresh. So we'll see. But still just a lot to love with Alcaraz. I did want to get to the women, though, because, you know, I know your experience with the WTA the first thing is Arena Sabalenka is the new number one in this role. And we see the personality every time. We saw her trying to talk Chinese to the fans. It was uh, another precious moment there. But do you think Arena is built for this role now that she's gotten the number one role and she's professed, look, I'm not trying to give it up anytime soon. How do you think Sabalenka will handle the, the new role, the new pressures of being world number one? I think this is the honeymoon period where you're the new world number one and you can kind of say, listen, I took me, it was really hard to get here. And for the rest of my life, I'm going to be introduced as a former world number one. And so you could sort of soak it in and enjoy it. I I'm going to, again, I don't know how the points where the points are standing right now. So I'm not sure how much of a cushion she has, but, but I think it's, I, I would give her a few weeks before she starts to actually think, oh, shoot, like, what do I, what do I need to do to actually stay here? So I think that this might be the honeymoon period where there's maybe more freedom to just play like mm-hmm. you play, walk out on the court with a little extra. Yeah. I don't know if there's such thing as a number one swagger, but there would be, if I were number one in the world, I would have maybe, maybe, maybe yeah. not external, but internal number yeah. one swagger and, and enjoy that. And she is the thing that I love about arena and I have I've spent a decent amount of time in interview settings with her this year, whether it's on the court, we also did the uh, Netflix reunion filmed yeah. it in Cincinnati this year. You never know what she's going to give you. And it's extremely refreshing. There is nothing calculated. And I, I, I preface this with, I know that as a professional athlete, is it wise to sort of know where your boundaries are when you're in an interview setting? Absolutely. I love with Arena though, that you just don't quite know what's going to come out of her mouth. There is an unfiltered way about her that for, in my job, sign me up. It's, it's yeah. fantastic. I don't think the opponents, sometimes even herself on the court, know what's coming next in her game and what's there. So it's great. And it's another dynamic personality who is such a great player, great impact on the game. So this role's good. She's in a good position for the year end number one. I love that that's the next goal. Okay, let's get to the year end and, you know, take it one week at a time. Easier said than done, though. Now Iga's in this new role, Iga's Fiontech as the hunter. So that's a different spot. She 
not your 60th win of the year, which is a staggering number, but new uh, new role reversal there. Ega at number two could actually end up being one of the best things for her, I think, Blair, mm-hmm. that she is now hunting maybe some of the pressures off and she could, you know, reset a little bit and try to get back to the basics of just dominating the game. Yeah, enjoy not having that pressure of the target on your back. I mean, listen, the target is still on her back to some extent in every single match that she plays because of her dominance over the past few years. But again, this would be the time if you want to start coming in more and making sure that your your volleys are maybe more solid than they were in the past. Do it. Now's the time. You don't have to worry about maintaining a position. You You can work on improving areas that might not have been as good as as you wanted them to be i love it for her yeah she's somebody that we know where she is her baseline game very very strong she has just got some new challenges and it's exciting coco's come up she's won 14 straight sabalenka's given her matches we're seeing other players maybe you know scratch the surface i I did need your opinion though because a a very popular player well liked on tour getting that big tournament what was it like to see maria sakari win in guadalajara uh and ons in like because both let me tell you did not it it was rough going for them in en route to those two titles no it made me so incredibly happy i cannot imagine listen there are a lot of perks of being a professional tennis player, the pressure and having people watching and speculating and encouraging and discouraging and criticizing every step of the way, I can't imagine dealing with that. And in particular for Maria, who is a a self-professed Twitter stalker, (laughs) Uh, she was aware of all those things that people were saying. And so it made me just so incredibly happy, especially after the U.S. Open and after that press conference that so many of Mm -hmm. us saw. And I think even if you haven't played professional tennis, I think we all could sort of Mm -hmm. feel what it would feel like to to think, hey, I'm Mm -hmm. doing all the right things. I can't explain why it's not falling together, but it's maybe I need to take a step away. You don't know. And I think we've all had those those situations in life. Um, So, so happy for her. And and so and also Barbora Krachikova winning in San Diego. Yeah, that that's your best friend. That's like your best friend on tour. Maybe. My my, <laughs> who who knows all about being a voice of God at the U.S. Open after coming and hanging with me for a night session uh, <laughs> while we were there. But so again, I think it's one of the best things about tennis that every week is a new story. Yeah. That it can be mm-hmm. rough, rough going yeah. and one match, one win, one week can turn everything around. And gosh, Ons, Ons at the U.S. Open was not 100%, but a quick, because you know I love a good story. Quick side note, we were waiting. She was waiting in the hallway on Armstrong to go out onto the court. I think it was play. I think it was to play uh, Zhang Kinwen, which a uh, match she ended up losing and she she physically she looked probably better than she had looked in the first few rounds of the yeah. turn but we're just waiting in the hallway and i happened to be there waiting for um or i had just maybe just finished a flash interview with andre rublev right so i was just kind of hanging in the hallway and it was a warm day in new york but i was wearing a sweater as i often do because i'm always cold and i have a high heat tolerance and she looked at me this is like minutes before <laughs> she walks out to play i think her fourth round match at the u.s okay. open and she says, Blair, why are you wearing a sweater? <laughs> and I said, Ans, I am always cold and I have a high heat tolerance. What can I say? And she said, have you seen a doctor about that? Like, have, you, have you had your thyroid checked? Wow. And I said, you know what? Not yet. And yeah. she's as she's asking me this, she's like inspecting my thyroid region. Uh, and again, would that happen with any other yeah. player minutes before walking out on the court? Yeah. Absolutely not. Uh, but that is why we love Ans Jabur because she yeah. is who she is and she is such a gem yeah. in every way. So incredibly happy for her too. Ans has been battling those injuries. Her approval rating's high, so it's good to see what uh, she was able to accomplish winning over in Asia. We always have been open about it, always riding for the Greeks and Maria Sakari and, uh, you know, Bar- Barbora. I don't know if it, a lot of surfing in Czech Republic. I'm not sure. 
Well, does she have one surfboard now or two? I haven't asked. Yeah, does that's she get true. One doubles also? I, I think it was just singles, but maybe they gave her two. They might not have been able to carry that on. You know, I don't know. I feel back. like if anybody's going to try yeah. to find a body of water to mm-hmm. use said surfboard, okay. it's Barbara. She is a lover of new experiences. That's for sure. Well, I, I wanted to uh, finish this up with Blair Hanley. We got to get to some of the more, you know, juicy slash serious stuff. And this is where I urge every guest now because this show should come with a disclaimer to be careful here. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, there's been some other, other news and notes on the WTA. I, I wanted your quick reaction, quick analysis to this whole performance by issue because it's kind of blown up and I'll just add to what I've said last week there is something to be said about how it's kind of cool in a way that we're in an era where people are speaking up because in the past I feel like 10 15 20 years ago people would have just gone with it that's it right or wrong I think it's you know there's this agreement between the players where Bacchina didn't feel it was fair to get a buy for Sacre and Garcia coming from Mexico over to Asia some players disagree some players say just go out and play and I think it's good we're having these discussions because I don't even think that would have happened 20 years ago. I think it's great. I mean, you had Petra Kvitova (laughs) talking about scheduling on social media Mm -hmm. uh, last week, which, again, these are things that, and even Petra said, she's like, I don't often say anything, but (laughs) this is something I want to say something about. And, And that is, I think, one of the pluses of social media and being able to be in charge of, of, what people hear from you at at any point. You're not having to wait for a press conference necessarily to say what you want to say. Um, I, I there, there are two things that can be true, right? I, I think that I, I see Rabakina's point. I also see the side of things that says, you know, the tennis schedule is bonkers. And if, you know, last year at the WTA finals, Iga was particularly vocal, um, if I'm remembering correctly, about the fact that, you know, you had the WTA finals in Fort Worth and then they were flying yeah. to uh, wherever Billie Jean King Cup yeah, finals she were. she spoke out last. on that. Yes. Yeah. So if if this this is the reality of, of tennis life are, are these really tough travel windows. And, and so I, I think it, I see why it's necessary. I also see why it would be frustrating. So I see both sides. Uh, that's not a great answer, but I, I think I see both sides of the coin on that one. No, it's something to consider, especially for these events that want top level players. How are you going to do it? If the players have that right to just say, no, I'm not going to be able to play both. So um, still coming and, and still interesting, but Rabakin another one that doesn't normally speak up. So I think it's good that the players are using their voice, even if there's disagreement there. Uh, and then of course we have to, it's this time of year. We're starting a little early with the coaching carousel. But there was a, a juicy one, an interesting one, where, you know, Wim Fassett is going to leave Quinn Winzang to go back to Naomi Osaka. And I wanted to just kind of clarify where I am at this point. You know, Ooh, yay. okay, so coaches have the right, and we know you can look at who he's coached. There's a lot of players. There's a lot of movement. You know, players will fire a coach any given day. We understand that. Coaches have the right. The contracts are specific to, you know, promote that sort of thing where you can leave and you can go and coach somewhere else. We don't know what happened between the player and the coach. There's been some translations that I'm not sure are completely accurate, Chinese to English. That said, I will just keep it as point blank as possible where coaches have the right to leave players and go to whoever is offering them the best deal, in this case financially, to work with someone you know. But there is a right way and a wrong way to do this. And again, I'm not saying that the set did anything wrong because I was not there. But there are allegations that would be a little unfortunate and would be less becoming of a, a professional and just a human being if, again, it's all alleged, you know, he kind of left Quinn Win high and dry. So that's my, my take in it. Don't ever have a problem with coaches leaving because you got to support yourself in a really cutthroat industry. But there are ways to do it, and we'll see if more info comes out if there was uh, some low-hanging fruit or some, you know, less-than-ideal ways of leaving. Yes. And in one of those translations, uh, Kinwen said that he he led her to believe that he felt that there were issues in their relationship. And she essentially said that there weren't any, to my knowledge, we never had mm-hmm. disagreements there. It was a harmonious relationship. And, and that is, I think, where I struggle. If I putting myself in the player's shoes, if a coach said to me, listen, this makes more sense for me and my family. I am so, so sorry. You're Mm -hmm. wonderful. And I wish you all the best, but this is a decision I have to make for myself. 
Would I be happy? No. Would I be personally crushed? No. And I, the, the sense that I get coming out of this facet Zhang split is that there is maybe like she's personally hurt. Yeah. And, and I think that if you just put everything on the table in black and white, this is a better move for me. I'm so, so sorry. I feel like in theory, it shouldn't lead to that personal hurt. Uh, and that makes me sad. I would never want a player to feel that. And mm -hmm. that's the feeling that I've gotten from this situation. So that part's a bummer. Right. In breaking up in any area of life, it's not going to be great, but you just hope that there's, you know, a straightforward approach. Cards are on the table. There's no misleading mm -hmm. going on. And again, We'll see if more info comes out, but that's the part I agree with you. That's where, like, if you're going to go back to a player you've coached, the player of Naomi Osaka's stature, just be upfront about it. And I'm not saying he wasn't, but it doesn't look too good from Quinn Wynn's point of view, uh, who has a lot of potential, too. That's the other part of this is that, you know, I think she's a bona fide top 10 player in the future. So whoever gets to coach her and work with her long term is going to get a heck of a player. She was a bright spot of my U.S. Open, by the yeah. way. I had never, I had never spoken to her before, and uh, thanks to her awesome agent, Mariah, and I was like, "Hey, mm -hmm. listen, if we request her for the World Feed for a feature, do we think that she would say yes to yeah. that?" <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, I think that would be great." Um, you know, sat down with her for five minutes, ended up doing an on-court interview with her the next day. And she leaned right into her Queen yeah. Wen nickname on the court, which, again, I think is great. Obviously, mm -hmm. we know her as sort of an international superstar. But in the U.S., I don't think a ton of people mm -hmm. know who she is yet. And so those sorts of moments where a player shows personality, priceless. Loved it. Well, I got a couple quick hitters with Blair Henley before we wrap up. Just some quick reactions, some funny things, and some, you know, not too much serious stuff. We kind of got through the heavy hitters. I did want to say prayers up to Jen Brady, unfortunate with the injury deal dealing again. Hopefully she's better. I mean, that was just brutal to see. Uh, yes, I mean, I'm, I'm right with you there. Mm -hmm. Sweet Jenny. Man, it was good to see her at the U.S. Mm -hmm. Open, and tennis is better with her in it. Yeah, yeah. Some good sound clips, too, as well. Some of the social media posts. I mean, the reactions I are mean, just the best. I mean, she's a content machine really without is. even trying. Really. It's really unbelievable. Had you ever seen, speaking to UCLA Bruins, have you ever seen a player give another player after a match a piggyback off the court like Mackie McDonald did? No, <laughs> but Mackie is another hidden gem who is is maybe, you know, he's not the loudest guy in the room, but he is really funny and earnest and smart and, and all the great things. And I yeah. loved that people were like, Oh my gosh, Mackie being sweet. Yeah. I'm like, yes, that's, that's Mackie. He's funny and sweet and great. And that was a really fun moment. Yeah. He's, he's hilarious too. A low key hidden gem and uh, having a little glow up in Asia. So it's nice to see, you know, the rest of the world kind of get to see that. Uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, you've done tennis, but you've also covered other events, other sports. What was Katie Couric like at the Pickleball Slam? Did you guys trade any inside uh, info? The highlight <laughs> of the Pickleball Slam <laughs> for me. Yeah. And, and granted, am I, am I biased because I see tennis people often? Yes. But she, just quick anecdote, was in charge of flipping the coin uh, for, I think it was one of the, the devil's games that they played. And I was facilitating that on court and it's getting close to the end of the previous game. And my boss said to her, Katie, you know, do you have the coin? And she said, I do. It's right here in my bra. Oh, and I thought she was joking. Cue us on court saying, okay, Katie, are you ready? She pulls that coin right out of her bra and and flips it in front of, you know, who is it? Michael Chang, John McEnroe, Andre Agassi, and uh, Andy Roddick. So she was hilarious. Mm -hmm. um, she knew my name within two minutes and said, you know, let's get a picture. And I was like, really? Wow. wow. <laughs> because I never in a million years would have asked her for a photo, especially when I'm when I'm working. Uh, but she was, she asked, which I'm sure is a, something mm -hmm. that she does and it's incredibly charming and mm -hmm. she could do it a thousand times and it would still be charming, mm -hmm. but it was charming to me. And I was like, that's so nice. And now I have a picture with Katie Couric. So she was fantastic and so funny and gracious and wonderful. Wow. That's special stuff right there. Good to hear, you know, another new friend, another new celebrity friend. Rolodex is One can only hope. Uh, and then of course I'd ask you just as we, as we put a bow on this episode, 
you know, you're part of the Fed Cup, I guess, coverage on official team, Billie Jean King Cup, I should say. You know, coaching change is interesting. On one hand, it's, you know, sad to see Kathy Rinaldi leave that position, still very much involved with USTA and women's tennis in America. But Lindsay Davenport, co-worker of mine and, uh, you know, a Fed Cup legend in her own right now, coaching the Billie Jean King Cup team is very exciting. Uh, very exciting. I think, um, you know, again, Kathy was fantastic and I think very well liked, um, well respected by the players. And as you said, will still be very involved. Um, I have personally loved Kathy. I joke that I need her to be my personal stylist because she also always looks, you know, hair outfits, always, always looking great, especially if you like to dress often in red, white, and blue. Um, but that's, again, a story yeah. for another day. Love Kathy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the gravitas of Lindsay Davenport, it doesn't get much better than that. I, she obviously has the, the coaching chops, which is, is a big part of that. I think, I think the players want to know when they're at those events that, that they are going to have a captain that they're learning from. So I think that that's a huge box to check. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. um, she's matter of fact, which I personally love. She, she calls it like she sees it, which is great. Uh, I think being a captain is not easy. I think mm -hmm. making those roster decisions would be really hard. And she just seems to have a really clear cut yeah. approach to life, <laughs> which yeah. I am envious of because I'm the worst decision maker in history. <laughs> So I, I think she will thrive, and I think the players are are pumped about it as well. So you can't ask for much more than that. I can't wait. And uh, that photo that keeps circulating, got to be, it's like that. It's the iconic women's tennis photo, right? The Fed Cup of her, the Williams sisters, and Monica Seles. Like that should be hanging yeah. in every <laughs> in every USDA-affiliated yeah. thing. If I'm, I think, I'm trying to remember, I think it was maybe for the Hall of Fame, yeah. but I did an interview with Lindsay and she was like, I think I have like one of my trophies. It's under the bed. Yeah. Just <laughs> um, Wimbledon. What is this? <laughs> I mean, that, that picture yeah. is probably in yeah. a shoebox in a, in the attic somewhere. And we're like, oh my gosh, it's the coolest picture ever. <laughs> well, Blair, this has been fun. You're always generous with your time. I do want to end with, you know, what you have coming up, um, maybe even calling some more matches with, with Mike Cation on the challenger tour. I think that might be in your cards from what I've heard. Yes, I am hoping to get to Champagne uh, again to get some more commentary reps. It's something that I have done some of. I would like to do more of this year. I did sideline reporting for NCAAs and also for Houston. Uh, so great experience there. But I'd love love to get more uh, more experience in the booth, so to speak, or if you're at a challenger under a tent in the in the open air, yeah. <laughs> or or in an indoor facility, whichever way it goes. But Mike has been so generous and I in June went to Tyler Texas and got to get my first taste of challenger commentary my first ever solo call was Alexi Gallarno the Canadian who and along with Gabriel Diallo the saviors of Canadian Davis mm -hmm. Cup this fall uh, absolutely incredible work from from them and Alexi has has been what a gem. I mean, he was such a big deal in Toronto and then he has a great Davis cup, uh, one to watch for sure. And, and just a really sweet human. So again, salt of the earth people at challengers. Um, and it's really cool to see sort of the origin stories and, and Mike multiple times this year with, you know, Chris Eubanks and, and Ben Shelton and guys like this who are having this incredible success at the highest level. He's like, these are my, they're my kids all grown up. <laughs> And so it really is, it's, it's sort of the, the hero origin stories and they, a lot of them begin at the challengers. So I hope to do some of that. Um, again, recovering from, recovering from labor <laughs> cup still where I do the behind the scenes cell phone footage or cell phone content, which yeah. is not something I do anywhere else, but man, is it a, it's gets my creative juices flowing at labor cup. I feel very fortunate to be able to, to do that role there and have guys like Andre Rublev who yeah. are just content machines just by being themselves. It's fantastic. He really is. And it has to be crazy. Right. When Roger walks into a room, it's just like the world has to stop a little bit. <laughs> yes. Um, forevermore. He, there is yeah. the Roger aura yeah. is a real thing. And, and yet he is so, normal like we all know the dorky side of roger mm -hmm. federer we've, we've seen it on social media yeah. we've seen it on tennis courts he is yeah 
very normal and also relatable. Yeah. But he has this just incredible aura and it's going to be part of labor cup for years and years to come so uh again quick side note on that i know people get hung up on what is labor cup if you can not worry about that it is one of the events that i would recommend to any tennis fan who who asks me hey you've been to a lot of events which one would you buy tickets to Mm -hmm. There is nothing like Labor Cup mm-hmm. as a fan experience. So yeah. two thumbs up from me. As long as the players all know what Labor Cup is, that's all that really matters is that they're <laughs> on the same page. Um, fair, but, fair point, Mitch, yeah. fair point. Yeah, uh, and Roger, I mean, I think it was in Chris Cleary's book where America's quote was like, this kid was singing Backstreet Boys a couple of years ago, and now he's number one player in the world. So yeah, we know about the dorky side. Uh, Blair, this has been a blast. You're generous with your time. You're also very multifaceted and you know, a good lesson to people to take different roles and different chances and try to just do what you can to make it as you have in the tennis world. So thank you again for coming on Inside In. Best of luck with this and also with the Hedgehog. You know, I know it's been difficult and uh, we've seen the updates. So anything for the kids, right? Anything for the kids. I actually saw an Instagram video today about some sort of cow that can be domesticated. I'm like, like a baby, I'm like a mini cow. Ooh. <laughs> who knows who knows at this point i'm committed to taking the road less traveled yeah. mitch so uh whether it's in my work or in my domestic pet ownership so wow <laughs> well blair always a blast blair henley thanks for coming on tennis channel inside in thanks mitch that was blair henley on tennis channel inside in we're on the tennis channel podcast network go to tennis.com podcast for this and the entire catalog of episodes on Spotify, on Apple, Amazon Music, all your platforms. Just search Inside In and it pops right up. Tennis Channel Inside In. And we're back next week with more tennis to talk during the Asian Swing. It's going to be exciting. For Blair Henley, I'm Mitch Michael. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week.